0: second season of the audio and visual podcast. My name is Jay Bickham and I'm your host. Audio and visual is a podcast that brings you into the artist's studio, whether that be a large commercial studio space or an extra bedroom in a condo, to help you to get to know the struggles, triumphs, and day-to-day lives of people creating visual arts. The artists you hear will, for the most part, be people you probably never heard of, although you may be familiar with some of their work. This isn't a podcast that will be featuring famous artists. Rather, it is focused on those artists that live and work right beside you. Today's guest is Edmonton-based graffiti and street artist, AJ Loudon. We met in AJ's noisy studio on a cold Sunday in February. Let's get right to it. Welcome to the podcast. Sweet, Thank you. Um, So uh, this is actually the first podcast I've done with someone that I haven't known or met before personally so this will be kind of interesting. I do know of your work. Uh, In fact uh, I think the first time I um, sort of came to know about you was when Leonard Nimoy died. Oh cool yeah. Um, Because that actually ended up in the paper. Do you want to just talk about what you did there?
1: Yeah for sure. So I painted a portrait of Leonard Nimoy on this uh, wall in town that was part of the open source street art Uh, project so they had these walls where they were um, open for anyone to come and paint at any time of day and uh, yeah that was kind of the idea of that uh, open source street art project which I thought was cool and so I uh, Leonard Nimoy had passed and that's somebody who's whose work I've been a fan of for uh, just years and years since I was a little kid Uh, always just drew some inspiration from his sense of imagination and even just some of the characters he played, like just a variety of different things. He was like one of those multifaceted artists, though, where he had his hand in so many different forms of media and things like that, um, and I think the fact that his personal philosophies shone through in his work so much is something I was like really into, I really dug. So.
0: Yeah, a lot of people don't know he was an amazing photographer. Oh, cool, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, he was uh, he was quite a guy, he was, it was uh, a lovely tribute, and it was a large tribute, it was, a, what, about an eight foot,
1: eight foot by eight foot? Yeah, so, I, uh, yeah, so I spray painted it on this uh, wall, uh, and it yeah, about, yeah. I think about about eight foot by eight foot, maybe a little taller. I think I used the ladder for the top bit of it, but um, but yeah, so uh, it's kind of large if you're used to brush paintings, but spray <laughs> paint wise, uh, it was like about regular scale for a portrait. It's hard to work too much smaller than that for me at least and sure. get uh, any sure. degree of detail. So,
0: so why don't we talk a little bit about uh, your background,
1: um, hmm. and uh, you know, how you got into art and those kinds of things, yeah. Um, so, I mean, I guess I was uh, always interested in drawing, and um, some of my earliest memories with my family were, like, at my grandma's house, she'd have those old uh, sheets of paper uh, that you had to rip the, they had these strips, like, they're old printers, they had these strips of uh, perforated... Uh, oh, sure, yeah. The, the holes on the side. The matrix a, the, paper. Yeah, that's what yeah. it was, the dot matrix paper. So she just had reams and reams of that, so uh, I would just get stacks of that and pull all the stuff off the sides and then just draw on that and keep myself entertained for, like, a really long time. Um, so I was always into drawing and that kind of thing. And then uh, I got really interested in graffiti sort of at a few points later in my life. Um, so like when I was young, I have this one memory of like uh, my mom was driving, uh, driving around downtown Calgary and I was looking out the window and I just saw this one tag on a light post and I thought it said tricone at the time. I learned later it said trick one. but uh, And so I saw it on this light post and I saw it on the next light post kind of written in the same style and then on the next light post. And I just started to, it was like Alice sticking her head down the rack. Rabbit hole, and just you know, was, I started wondering, like, what is that one person writing the same random word on all these light posts, or is it like a group of people all writing the same thing? Why are they writing that? What does that even mean? Um, so, I just got kind of interested in that in it and uh, just sort of opened my eyes to it a little bit there. Uh, and then, just getting involved in like hip hop culture and break dancing uh, or trying to get involved in that later in life, um, you know, in like my early teens, that's kind of when uh, I got the graffiti bug again, and then just uh, yeah, just kind of kept reappearing in my life. So, that's. Uh, how I got uh, involved in that specifically. So I, I noticed on your uh,
0: your bio page on your website that you uh, actually uh, did some work at a sign company.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. So uh, I went to I was in post-secondary school for a while. I uh, moved up to Edmonton from Calgary uh, to go to U of A for sciences. Uh, and so I was in sciences for a bunch, liked it, but I uh, saw some of my friends graduating and not having a ton of prospects and not, or getting into gigs that they didn't really love and so I just started asking myself. Like what? We, trying to look a little bit further down the line and like okay, I love sciences, I love this learning that I'm doing but like where am I taking it or what do I want to do with it? Um, so I took a little bit of time off school after that, worked in the restaurant industry a bunch uh, and then came out of that and uh, did a graphic design diploma at McEwen. Uh, and so in that time um, I was like still pretty involved with graffiti and really interested in that uh, kind of thing and still drawing and making art on my own. So that in my mind was like sort of the route I'd figured where maybe I could be creative in some some way, but still have a reasonable prospect of being able to pay rent and uh, and that kind of thing. So, um, so after I got out of school for graphic design, my uh, one of my first gigs and the gig I stuck longest with as a graphic designer was at a signage company called Barron's. Uh and so it's actually a foundry-based uh, company, so that you all the pouring of brass bronze and aluminum signage uh, in house. So I got to see that part of the process, which is um, I think that really informed um, some of my own processes and just thinking about how I make things. Um, so I've kind of uh, do things other than just paint directly to surface now. I, I like doing some other kind of uh, projects involving woodworking or just playing with structure and uh, substrate a little bit uh, more as opposed to just thinking about the surface treatment of things. Um, so yeah, I think that job uh, had something to do with... Well, uh, uh,
0: The reason I, I brought that up, because it really jumped out at me, because I worked for 15 years at a sign company oh. back in the 80s and early 90s, and uh, to me, everything I know about pretty much anything I do in the art world right now, I can have a, write a direct line back to learning all of that stuff, right? From spray painting, silk screening, typesetting, welding, you name it. I learned how to do it, and uh, that's, uh, so I, I just kind of went, yeah, I, I, I got to talk about that because that was, uh, for me, it was a really, really formative experience. So, uh, yeah. yeah. So, uh, so you went to Graham Cune, did did some work there. Uh, What happened after that?
1: Uh, So, yeah. I guess after that. I just kind of floated around for a bit looking for a gig and uh, found a job with, um, I don't know how many details I should get into with this one, <laughs> but uh, found a job with this company that was doing like, basically it would do awards for other companies. Uh, and so when I first started working for them, it seemed super legit and on the nose and everything, or, or not on the nose, but super legit and seemed like it made sense. Uh, but uh, I kind of started to learn a little bit more about their process and I started to get like just some red flags came up Um, but basically they were like selling awards to other businesses so like if you paid them or if you like joined whatever their program um, then you would win First or second place for best something of Edmonton, that kind of thing. Um, so it was, it was an interesting experience in that it kind of showed me this like shady underworld of uh, the uh, business award program that exists. Uh, and so it's kind of one of those things where those little shady underworlds exist almost in every industry. It seems sure, like. Sure. But, uh, but I found that uh, that was one of my first gigs, and it's like the nefarious, like <laughs> the dark side of graphic design or something, because uh, that's that's the they wanted me to be producing websites and pamphlets and like help produce award graphics and that kind of thing. Um, So I got out of that pretty quickly once I just realized it just it just didn't seem um, super upfront, or just, yeah. Uh, so uh, after that, I uh, the whole time I was doing some freelance and stuff too, and I did a little bit of like a song, a little bit of art at that time. So I'd do like you know art walks and stuff like that, and um, uh, just different projects where I'd be able to sell uh, art on canvas and like just make some income off it. Uh, so that helped, uh, and then uh, eventually I just got that job at Barron's, I think was maybe nine months after I got out of school. Um, and right after I got out of school I uh, had an internship at the AGA as well Uh, and that was a pretty uh pretty formative experience for me um just in that I met one of my current studio partners who's been my studio partner for uh four years now I guess three or four years uh Clay Lowe and uh, we've worked together for five or six years and so we first met um at that AGA uh internship he was uh the graphic design lead at the program and I was a a design intern and so um I just met him and formed a relationship there and then learned a lot too about uh, some aspects of the gallery process and just seeing, getting one window into the fine art world. Uh, and it's from like an institutional gallery perspective so it's a lot different than maybe a commercial gallery would work and um, I was definitely part of a team so I didn't get to see every aspect of it but just to be able to poke my head in that door a little bit and see kind of what's going on uh, behind the scenes uh, was uh, ended up being a useful, useful process and yeah it's good. You're
0: listening to Audio and Visual, the podcast about visual arts and artists. Today's guest is Edmonton-based graffiti and street artist, A.J. Loudon. For more information on A.J. and to hear all our episodes, visit audioandvisual.ca. Follow us on Twitter at audioandvisual and visit facebook.com slash audioandvisual. Don't miss an episode and subscribe to Audio and Visual on Google Play or iTunes. Now back to A.J. So at this time, what kind of art were you producing? You mentioned some canvas work.
1: Yeah, so I did a little bit of work on canvas. I was still doing a bit of graffiti, too. Um, Graffiti, street art, both... yeah, so that would be most of it. Most of my paintings on canvas were like acrylic paintings on smaller canvases or a little bit later on I started doing um, fairly regular paintings during the summer at an event called Cypher Wild. So it's this live free to the public event in Churchill Square. Uh, my friend Matthew creation uh, helps organize that. He's kind of the spearhead behind that. Uh, and they have uh, just all the elements of hip hop culture. So they have like b-boys that will come out and break dance. They have, uh, it's like live music so they'll have live live DJing and turntablism. but they'll also sometimes have instruments come out like guy will bring a trombone out and jam or like uh, that kind of thing so uh, I used to do live paintings there just to represent the graffiti aspect of the culture um, just so people could at least see spray painting use you know it's not graffiti graffiti but uh, so I was doing that fairly regularly so I had a bunch of those canvases too Uh, and then while I was in school and then after school I was uh, started doing, started getting into muralism too, so I'd like paint uh, custom murals for people, either individuals or sometimes I'd work with like businesses uh, if they needed a mural for a space. Uh, and then that became and has still kind of been uh, one of the primary, probably the primary like driver of my practice too is, is probably muralism. Uh, and then in 2011, so while I was still in school, I designed a program called the Aerosol Academy. Um, so it's a series of uh, workshops, it's fairly flexible so it can be like a one day thing or it can be like... Uh, up to, like, a three- or four-month thing where I've done, like, in-school residencies for, like, a year, um, but just teaching people about the history and culture of graffiti and street art, teaching about some of the tools and techniques, uh, and particularly how those tie into the rest of, like, art history, um, so just kind of making that connection, um, so that's been a big part of my practice um, since then, too, so, yeah.
0: Yeah, so, and um, from what I understand, the Aerosol Academy, you've done a lot of work with uh, inner-city kids, and yeah. uh, do you want to talk a little bit about that, how yeah. that uh, what 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 drives you to want to do
1: that and Yeah, for sure. Um, So, with Aerosol Academy, one of the reasons that I came up with it uh, was just that, like, as a kid, I was always interested in drawing and, like, making art of some kind, Uh, but when I went to school, I just didn't really connect with the art classes. Like, knowing how much I drew at home, those should have been my favorite classes, for sure, but it just, uh, just the way they were presented and some of the content and subject matter just didn't speak to me in the same way. Uh, And so, later in life, when I found graffiti, and uh, after that, when I found street art and stuff like that, too. became more of like a window into the rest of the art world for me and so that's something that like was just like really just changed my life right like that sort of um really just drastically decided the direction of, of where my life went. Uh, so I just wanted to be able to like share that with people. And I know schools don't do it naturally and there's this weird sort of a double standard perception right now of graffiti and street art in a society right now or at least like where, where we live. Um, so just being able to like bring some of my knowledge about that and some of my passion and some of my own just experiences, my life story um, to s- classrooms in some ways but also just to, to other spaces but like particularly with youth, um, that's like what motivated me, just to like offer that same window into the art world, like, oh, it can be way different or way cooler than maybe it seems when you're in school. Um, so yeah, I was just trying to share that a bit. And I do definitely teach it to adults too, and the reasoning there is a little bit different, but I just want to have some effect on the perception of graffiti and street art and how it relates to the rest of the public art world in public art in society, um, because I think there's some misconceptions and there's maybe just like really narrow perceptions of of what role it plays in society I guess. Well and I, I think that's an important,
0: that's one of the reasons I wanted to to talk to you is that I mean street art is uh, graffiti is something that um, in a lot of cases is is done illegally mm-hmm. um, and I think that from what I've seen is that you're really trying to to show the city that you know yeah there is that aspect of it but there's also a far more deep and important part of it to beautify the city to to show other things other um the other ways of looking at our walls and and our streets um and so you want to talk a little bit about how just uh, this, this legitimization that you're trying to to bring to this community, mm-hmm. and the, I, I know you've been involved in several other projects besides the Aerosol Academy.
1: The uh, uh, you want to talk about those kinds of things? Mm-hmm. For sure. So for me, I mean, I think. Uh Graffiti is always going to have some illegal aspect to it. Like, there's always going to be people doing it illegally. And I think that's actually part of what makes it different than some other forms of art or even public art. Uh, And so I don't think, like, I I get that society might always just have a problem with that. When we live in a society where personal property is kind of paramount and that, you know, it's it's a capitalist system that we live in, um, I think that there's always going to be some level of conflict between that illegal act of graffiti or defacing some piece of property that you don't own um, and uh, society's perception of of value and and how that is kind of affected. Um, So, and that's not something I'm really trying to challenge or or change too much. I just recognize that that's inherent in in graffiti. Uh, But I think what I am trying to do is maybe just ask people to look at graffiti and uh, and street art um, maybe from different angles and just look at how they can tell stories in a city in a way that maybe blank walls don't, uh, and so I, I think I'm yeah I'm hopefully just like trying to open up the question, make it a little bit more complicated than like uh, the it's kind of capital city cleanup thing of like you know vandalism versus art, and I, th- I think it's just a lot more complicated than that binary right. Like sure. if if Leonardo painted the Mona Lisa under a bridge somewhere, um, would it not be beautiful still? Like yeah, I don't think those th- two things, the legality of a piece, and then the the um, aesthetic value of it i don 't think those two things need to be mutually exclusive like that i don 't think it needs to be legal or you know or illegal or it can be beautiful but it can 't be both you know like i, I just don 't I think we can consider it in a more nuanced way than that sure
0: sure um, i 've always wondered um, about uh, sort of a street artist 's opinion of tagging is tagging sort of is, is it again part of that spectrum where you know there's there's the, the tagging where somebody literally just scrawls some profanity on a wall or something mm-hmm. up to the really elaborate kind of tags that that you see often on on trains as you're sitting at 50th street stuck in the morning those kinds of things so how, how do you sort of look at that whole
1: perspective yeah no, that's a, i think that's a really important question so um, Graffiti is kind of a tough word uh, to play with sometimes because it's sort of been stretched so far that it's almost not that useful anymore. What I mean by that is that it's used to describe such a wide variety of things. Um, so I might be wearing, uh, like the sweatshirt I'm wearing, somebody might be wear- like, oh, there's graffiti on your sweatshirt. Uh, and okay, I could get that because the aesthetic, it looks like a graffiti style, but I mean, it's not done illegally, it wasn't created with spray paint, it was done on a computer with vectors. So I mean, there's the aesthetic component of it. There's there's also uh, the legality of it, so if I paint anything anywhere illegally, um, that, some people define that as graffiti, right? Like a police officer, you know, that's graffiti. Uh, there's the, uh, if you look at the original meaning of the word, it comes from an ancient Latin word which means scratch into a surface, graffito. Um, so I mean, if you look at modern graffiti, most of it's not etched into a surface. Some of it is, right? But, so I mean, it's one of those words that's just kind of been bent and stretched and, and played with uh, so much that... Uh, it's, it's kind of hard to use super effectively, um, but to, to answer your question generally, myself as an artist, I absolutely consider all of those forms. Um, whether it's somebody writing grad twenty nineteen on a bridge somewhere, or it's somebody doing staying up for two nights in a row and going back to the same train yard and sneaking under razor wire to paint this elaborate full car size piece with spray paint and bucket paint uh, that they had to steal because they didn't have the money to do it, uh, or you know sneaking into a subway yard in New York in the 1980s when all the arts programs got cut or the late 70s even and they're painting on the side of these subway cars because they don't have this, any other outlets um, so I think all these things and all these acts have something in common or even going much further back uh, writing on the sides of the pyramids in Giza and leaving your name and etching something to the surface there or as a cave person um, you know painting something on the walls like to I me I say yeah. the Caves of Alaska was like the the very first bit of
0: public art and Absolutely. it was just some guy or gal painting animals in the cave in the middle of, of prehistory yeah. so that's that's kind of interesting when, yeah. you, when you think about that uh, interesting point you brought up that that uh, in, in a lot of ways the, the big explosion in graffiti culture started in in New York with cuts to arts programs.
1: Yeah, that feels like that was one of the major impetuses like when you kind of look and and read some of the history and and try and get quotes and things from some of the the early originators, that was one thing for sure. I think um, the accessibility of tools that allowed you to make like larger scale marks, um, that was another thing that kind of blew things up. So spray paint for example being invented, uh, it was invented in like the mid-1940s but it became um, Commercially available like a lot later than that um, so like 50s 60s you started to maybe see it on the shelves uh, and then so people started catching tags with that and then they're big and you could notice them um, so cornbread was probably one of the really early examples of that that me- people might know about uh, also like tacky 183 um, from New York was um, was an artist that uh, people might know about too uh, who was doing a lot of marker tags uh, and so I think there were like just a few uh, sort of flashpoints in the culture uh, there was like a an article, I can't remember if it was in the New York Times, or it was in a major newspaper in New York um, that talked about Tacky 183 and had all his, some photos of his tags and, and things like that, and so that was one of those touch points where a lot of people saw it, a lot of kids got inspired, and then that kind of blew things up a little bit too. So I think for modern graffiti there were a variety of uh, of Things kind of coming from all directions. Also, even hip hop culture had a lot to do with it, or well, not not for everybody, but um, but yeah, definitely the arts program cuts were were one one thing for sure. Uh,
0: that's interesting. The art, art gets out no matter what, right? I yes. mean, it's the, you know, there, it, if we don't have places for people to make art, they'll find places. Yeah, sure. and, and you've been in, involved in, uh, in that open
1: walls project here as well, right? Yeah, I was until the, the pilot program ended, but uh, yeah, that was something I was excited to kind of see the city experimenting with a little bit. So to me, that's almost in between um, graffiti and then classic contemporary muralism. Uh, in that they had these walls where anyone could come and paint them any time and it was fully legal. Now, if you went and painted a big square there, probably, somebody would probably come buff it, get rid of it, right? Or uh, if you did something that somebody didn't like, they had all uh, right to go over it, you know, once sure. you took a photo. Um, so I think it captured some of the energy of, of graffiti and street art and that it was this living surface that constantly changed and it provided a space for local artists to be able to try new techniques, to be able to have their work seen outside of their studios, if that's important for some people, right? To be able to work at a scale that's much harder to work at if you have limited resources. Like if you need to buy a bunch of plywood and build yourself a wall to paint at that scale just to learn how to paint something that's 6 feet by 10 feet. Um, you know, now we have a wall where you can just go practice that. So now all you have to do is bring the paint and you can try something out, right? So it uh, kind of reduces some of the barriers to entry for muralism in general, which I think was, was good for the city. Uh, and I think if you look at um, festivals like Rust Magic and this explosion of muralism in Edmonton that's happened, after um, that project. I don't think the project had nothing to do with that. I don't think it was entirely responsible, right? But I think it showed people in the city and um, what good muralism can look like and what, lo- what local artists can do, I think, most, o- more importantly, uh, and just sort of brought some more energy to that uh, that, that contemporary urban muralism scene.
0: You're listening to Audio on Visual, the podcast about visual arts and artists. Today's guest is Edmonton-based graffiti and street artist AJ Loudon. For more information on AJ and to hear all our episodes, visit audioandvisual.ca. Follow us on Twitter at @audioandvisual and visit facebook.com/audioandvisual. Don't miss an episode and subscribe to Audio and Visual on Google Play or iTunes. Now back to AJ. So, uh, talking about you know, developing um, your skills as a graffiti artist, did I mean, like you said, did you just uh, throw up a couple of sheets of plywood somewhere? And I mean, obviously there were some perhaps public things uh, that you worked on, but I mean, uh, I've seen your work; it's very, very intricate, very detailed. Um, how do you develop that kind of skill?
1: Uh, so for me, I just did graffiti like illegally uh, for quite a while, and I. Th- Practice is still something that I'm interested in, so I love going and looking and seeing. Uh, graffiti was done, uh, or unsanctioned public art, some people <laughs> might want to call it. Uh, but uh, but yeah, so that was a big part of my practice, too. And um, I think that's one thing that I'm interested in talking to people about is the uh, value that this unsanctioned art can can add to uh, these shared environments, like these shared public spaces. So I think spaces like the undersides of bridges and back alleys um, are just no-brainers to me, especially when they're not being used for anything else. And I get it when people see something that they maybe don't agree with or the visuals may be a little bit intense for like younger viewers or something like that, so I can get there's some pushback there for sure. But I just think it's so much more interesting and it tells so much more of a, a story when you're walking through a city when you can see um, these examples of the graffiti. And I mean, they're going to exist anyway. They've always existed in, in these uh, urban environments. I mean, you can just look back to Pompeii and Rome and they had examples of graffiti. Or Nero's Villa, they have uh, examples of people writing on the walls in there. Uh, once it had collapsed, they actually had some famous art, I think, Raphael and... Uh, and uh, was it Michelangelo too? I think it was Michelangelo and Raphael both left their signatures on the wall of, of Nero's <laughs> villa. So I mean, um, we've just—it's—it's it's just such a human thing to want to leave your mark behind and to want to decorate your environment somehow. So it makes sense to me that it extends to public shared spaces too, right? Um, but yeah, I don't. I went on a bit of a tangent. There. I don't remember your yeah. original question. But well, it, it was <laughs> just about your, how you
0: have you learned how to do oh, it because it's. Yeah, and yeah. I, I would assume that because you're doing
1: things, um, you probably
0: learn how to do them fairly quickly.
1: Yeah, for sure. So yeah, uh, just to, to get back to your original point there. Yeah. So it was doing a lot of um, practicing illegally a lot and finding spaces like that where. Um, I didn't have to work as quickly, so there's some, there's certain spaces like under bridges or certain remote locations, you know, along the train tracks, uh, way out in the prairies, nobody's going to bug you, um, spaces like that. Uh, where I could practice for a long time and that's where, how I learned to do the more intricate detailed work like that's why I got some of the skills to do like portraiture and, and realism and things like that um, but in terms of like lettering and, and learning the more classic graffiti um, traditions and some of that aesthetic heritage um, that was doing it more in public places and uh, I got in trouble lots when I was a kid and had to do with uh, actually more when I was like a teen but had to do with the consequences of, of uh, all of that for sure I think that's part of the game and I think one of the things that's interesting about graffiti, that's maybe similar to sign making, is just how important the process is. How how much you need to think about that before you really jump into things. Because if you're up on a rooftop and you were going to do this color first, but then this color doesn't really show up over this color, and like you kind of need to have all those things worked out um, beforehand, uh, or else yeah, it just uh, make things makes things a little tougher. So sure. um, yeah, so that was one thing that you kind of had to learn. Practically, too, and I think there's something aesthetically that you can see in people that haven't done um, Or haven't done or haven't been around much uh, illegally created graffiti and that you almost have like you have a lot more time to do things so that you can you almost paint with a brush that's too small um, because you have all the time in the world to fill in the shape and you can just kind of see it so like your work gets a lot looser and um, just true to that aesthetic tradition of, uh, of graffiti uh, if you're doing it illegally, right? But um,
0: yeah. Well, I, I get that because I, I did a mural um, in my studio on yeah. the panel and yeah. it took me 21 days to do it so yeah. it's like you can spend a lot of time on these things totally. or uh, it can be done in, like you said, two days. Over if yeah. you if you're working on it hard. So, I mean, for me, the the idea of going in and doing, you know, portrait uh, mural uh, with spray cans in six hours or something that blows me away. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know how you guys do it. It's it's amazing because for me it was a, was a very involved long process. So. Mm-hmm. Um, So you've done a lot of work, um, working for the John Humphrey, with iHuman. Why is that so
1: important uh, to you? Um, Yeah, that's a good question, I think um, probably for a few different reasons, I think Part of it uh, I just fell into naturally, just uh, having friends and people around me that uh, work in nonprofit or like were poli sci majors in school or, or that kind of thing. Um, growing up, my dad was uh, owned a social working company too. Uh, so looking back, I wonder if that maybe had some aspect of, of it uh, and just sort of. Uh, I'd say sociology more than politics is is something that's always interested me, and that's something you know I took a little bit of, of that in school, and um, how we interact as a as a group has always interested me a bunch, and and using art and muralism to. Uh, just to kind of influence that conversation or to have a voice in some way is I I think something that's always interested me about muralism specifically and I think that's one of the things that's really attractive to people about graffiti is that you have this opportunity to say something in a very public way Um, so I think there's this automatic link between sort of wanting to have a voice in society and graffiti just because of that very public nature and public art in general, right, whereas if you're working in a sketchbook and you can kind of choose who sees it and who doesn't, there's a, there's a very different relationship with the public uh, in that way. And it's, it's a bit of a, a shout out to say
0: I'm here, I'm not. Um, I'm not just some inner city kid that's mm-hmm. just gonna have, you know, issues. I'm I'm an actual person, I have mm-hmm. I can make art, I can do these kinds of things. I mean yeah. that that's kinda what, what I see when I see these these projects. I know you you've actually as, again, going back to your Aerosol Academy, that's kind of the point behind that, right? Yeah, Is yeah. To, to give that voice and help uh, help people actually learn how to do it in a in a way that they're not necessarily going to get in trouble or more trouble than they've they've potentially been in so um, I, I, I really commend you for that it's oh, a it's yeah. a
1: very very cool program and and uh, I'm sure the kids love it yeah I think lots of them do you know you're yeah, not all of them but well, yeah yeah I, I feel like I feel like uh, a lot of them do and I've had some, some I've been lucky to have some really good success with it for sure
0: you've done uh, a ton well, I don't know if it's a ton of um, uh, public uh, commissioned art here in, mm-hmm. in Edmonton and uh, other places
1: as well. So what's, what are some of your favorite projects you've worked on? Mm, that's a good question. Um, I think I'm definitely always my own worst critic. So every project I've worked on so far, I'm always like, oh, I could have tweaked this uh, or this or that. Um, but a lot of times it was it's kind of the last project that I worked on that's, was, that's my favorite. So uh, two of the recent ones that I worked on that I was excited about uh, were one down in Calgary called Art window and so that one was really fun because it was quite a collaborative project we had a lot of different people involved it's actually on the side of a mosque in downtown Calgary Uh, and we it was with a youth program so I wanted to have the youth really be quite involved in the project um, both in the conception of the mural but also like in the painting of it and just the whole process and then I partnered with some animators and then had um, sort of a lead technologist I guess we'd we'd, uh, call him but uh, somebody who helped me program manage the creation of a custom app so it's an augmented reality app um, so it's almost finished uh, it's not quite done yet but we worked with these animators to create these overlay animations that uh, are triggered when you look at the app through your smartphone uh, or sorry when you look at the mural through your smartphone using the app um, so you can just pull this app up it's free and then just check out the mural and you can see the mural like comes to life in a new way and so I was able to work closely with the animators once the mural was finished to sort of art direct their animations but also like where work with their inspiration and their feedback to create some um, you could kind of have to see it but like they just use the existing content in the mural and then like kind of animate it in a cool way and uh, one of the animators uh, is a family called the bum family that uses uh, cut paper so it's almost like these stop-motion cut paper animations uh, that are overlaid over the mural and then the other uh, animators my good friend Jarrett Sitter who did uh, more digital animations um, with uh, it's just a really cool style that uh, just Sort of open up the mural into this digital world that I'm kind of interested in exploring in that way. So uh, that was a fun one. It sounds like uh, maybe VR is is next a next step, perhaps. Yeah, I'd love to. Uh, that's definitely something I've been checking out a bunch lately. And uh, my wife and I just took a trip to Japan in November, and one of the things I really wanted to do was go to this um, digital technologies museum uh, in Tokyo. And so we went and checked that out. And there's a bunch of uh, AR. I was, we'll see mostly augmented reality or like projection mapping stuff Um, that was really cool and so I just tried to go there with from looking at it just as an audience member but also just kind of from a production standpoint and being like okay how did they create this or like are there some extra tools they use to align the projectors in a certain way or like how could I take some inspiration from this and take it back to my practice so um, so that was cool so that's definitely something I'd like to explore more and then we went to a cool VR uh, Uh, It's just like a VR arcade uh, there, too, and so that was, like, pretty inspiring and definitely got some ideas flowing about, like, using some of that technology uh, to create art, something I'd be interested in. Well,
0: it it seems like AR in particular um, is... is Kind of great for the kind of work you do mm-hmm. because it's a public space. I mean, it's it's like Pokemon Go, but it's it's art and it's it's yeah. extending that art. And it seems like it would be a really great fit. I look forward to, to seeing the app when it comes Sweet. out. Yeah, yeah that'd yeah, be really too. cool. Um, one of the other things that I have seen you do is your time lapses. Of, mm-hmm. uh, I remember watching that uh, time lapse of Jimi Hendrix oh, yeah. mural oh. at the at the Needle, and uh, yeah. that was very awesome. Um, oh, yeah, you, you've done. Uh, f-
1: more, have you done time lapses like that? Is that yeah. something you do? I- yeah, I've done a few, I haven't uh, done a ton lately. More what I do now is uh, I produce quite a few videos uh, and put them out mostly on Instagram. Um, but uh, uh, most of those aren't time lapses. Uh, I just found like the time lapse format after a while. Like, I produced, I think I've probably done maybe 8 or 10 in my life um, but um, after a while it's just like even as an audience member. when I'm watching a time lapse I'm like okay cool so he's starting and then I almost wanted to skip forward and I'm like okay cool this is what it looks like in the middle and I go to the end um, so I sometimes I'll try to integrate like a little bit of time lapse footage into some of the videos I put out but more I just try to tell the story like kind of behind the scenes of um, some of my projects or just like explaining the project a little bit or showing some of the details that you can't tell in the photos as easily sure. um, so I do a little bit less time lapse but uh, I do like them, I think they're cool, but...
0: Yeah, Yeah, for me, I love the time-lapse, because they actually um, show me my process, which I'm not aware of when I'm doing it, right? It's like, why did I make that decision? I'm glad I made that decision, or, oh, jeez, maybe I should have stuck with that idea, and so I do like that. Uh, They are a little boring to watch, though. (laughs) After a while,
1: you're right, it's, uh, okay, we'll just skip ahead of this part. Yeah, yeah. But as a record of your process, yeah, that's one thing I love about video in general, and you're totally right, you just kind of see things that you didn't even know you did, or like, yeah. you start to see patterns, and you're like, oh, I always do this first. I didn't even, I, yeah. I just never thought about trying anything else. I just... Yeah, well, and it, yeah, it's a really good tool to
0: uh, to expand the way you um, uh, look at how you do your art. And even, like you say, just from... I always start in this direction. Well, I find my what was always right to left with my landscapes you know Mm -hmm. left to right and I'm like oh you know that maybe is something I should look at to really help because it's just sort of a natural thing and if you're not thinking about it and I found the time lapse really was a way to help me
1: realize those kinds of things yeah cool cool Uh, So what you got um, coming up, what's... Uh, Yeah, so it's winter right now, so unfortunately I can't be outside uh, painting murals as much, but I'm working on a bunch of like panel projects in the studio. So I've been using a little bit of the woodworking capacity we have here at Timber to um, cut up wood panels and then kind of mount them in different interesting ways and then paint on top of those. So uh, it's kind of a little bit inspired by graffiti in that... One of the things I love about painting in the street or painting in uh, locations that aren't just flat walls, and uh, this comes up in muralism too sometimes, but uh, is just that you have to deal with this more complicated surface. And so the surface itself kind of can inform the painting or like can give you clues about what to put where. Um, so yeah, I'm making these like mixed media assemblages uh, out of, mostly out of wood, but sometimes I use a little bit of fabric or canvas or other things like that. And then, um, and then painting on top of those after. So I'm working on a series of those right now. I think I have uh, three sets in the studio um, right now. Um, so yeah, just kind of digging into those. One I'm sort of in the middle of uh, and then the other two I'm just a starting. So I just ordered supplies and um, just getting the vectors figured out for my cuts uh, for all the base panels. Um. Uh, And then I am potentially going to be doing some, I'm kind of setting up for the spring and summer so uh, there's a project in Lethbridge I'm looking at and then uh, another project in Calgary that I've been doing for the past, uh, I think this will be my fourth year, uh, this street art program for youth uh, down with the city of Calgary so I'm just uh, in chats with them right now about what that might look like this year. Um, so yeah, more, more just kind of setting up and getting some things figured out. Uh, I've been able to take a little bit more time and draw, but uh, unfortunately I crashed my truck last week. Oh. Uh, I hit, yeah, hit a really bad patch of ice and uh, just like wrapped my truck around a post. So uh, pretty sure it's going to be a write off, so that's oh. kind of what I'm dealing with in the uh, immediate future is uh, figuring out a new vehicle. So I have a rental right now, but... Uh, yeah, well, that's not yeah. fun. No, it's terrible. So. <laughs> I'm tired, tired of this winter. Yeah. I'm
0: sure you, being a mostly outdoor artist... Uh, uh, just yeah. can't wait for this to be
1: over ah, given it snowed September the 12th. <laughs> I'm super cooped up yeah. This, uh, this year's been a little bit better than uh, others just in that I have a couple locations indoor where I can like kind of do just work out ideas and do whatever I want. They're not just like um, commercial opportunities or like commissions or anything like that. So uh, I have my studio here where I have some walls I can paint and then excuse me and then uh, I have a friend of mine uh, who has a spot uh, downtown, an indoor spot that we can paint that has a ton of wall space so we can kind of been uh working on stuff there um so yeah and then working digitally a bunch and just kind of planning but planning planning to go hard once yeah. it stops
0: being a hundred below for sure make it <laughs> hey well the sun finally shines yeah all right well uh thanks for doing this yeah it's been fun and cool. uh i learned a lot today
1: and, sweet uh, thank you so much yeah thanks for having me Thanks.
0: Thanks to AJ Loudon for sitting down with me for our second episode of our second season. Audio and Visual is recorded, produced, and hosted by me, Jay Bigham. The Audio and Visual theme music is called Good Day, written by Kim Lincoln. For more information on AJ, and to hear all our episodes, visit audioandvisual.ca. Follow us on Twitter at audioandvisual, and visit facebook.com audioandvisual. Don't miss an episode and subscribe to Audio and Visual on Google Play or iTunes. See you next time.